Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Bob. Good morning, all. Does anyone remember this fellow? Eddie the Eagle. That's right. Michael Edwards was his name, but he was better known as Eddie the Eagle. He is an English ski jumper and Olympian. And Eddie is his nickname um, given by his school friends from his uh, surname, Edwards. Eddie began ski jumping using borrowed equipment, <laughs> although he had to wear six pairs of socks to make the boots fit. <laughs> he was disadvantaged by his weight. He was heavier than the other competitors. He was disadvantaged because he was totally self-funded and pretty much an amateur. Another problem was that he was very far-sighted. So those thick glasses that he wore under his goggles, they would mist up at altitude. In 1988, at the Winter Olympics at Calgary, Eddie was the first competitor to represent Great Britain in Olympic ski jumping. Good on you, Eddie. He finished last in all of his events. He scored 69 points. The second last competitor scored 140 points. And the winner had 229 points. And Eddie says himself, he said, I'd like to say I flew like an eagle but I was probably closer to an ostrich. <laughs> so, Eddie was competing well out of his league, but he gave it a go. And I've got to say that that's pretty much how I'm feeling now, following on from Rick's wonderful sermons. It feels like the bar has been set pretty high. As high as a pole vault bar, maybe. So here goes my attempt to fly like an eagle or an ostrich. <laughs> I'll pray. Heavenly Father, give us faith to believe that even in the worst of our life's storms, we can trust that you're here with us and that you will protect us. Well, thank you, Father, for the assurance that you will never leave us or forsake us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So this morning we continue our sermon series on John's Gospel. Trevor's last sermon on John chapter 5 was about the miracle of the 5,000 people. And they were fed on a small amount of food near the Sea of Galilee. This morning we'll look at John 6 verses 16 to 24. It's about a severe storm in Israel on the Sea of Galilee, about the miracle of Jesus walking on that stormy water to be with his disciples when they were tired and scared, and about why we should not fear because Jesus is always with us. Have you ever experienced a severe storm or a cyclone? Yeah. 
Many of us uh, who live in tropical regions have. Christine, my wife, was nine years old and living in Darwin when during the early hours of Christmas Day in 1974, Cyclone Tracy devastated Darwin. Winds exceeded 300 kilometres per hour. 49 people were killed on land and a further 16 people died at sea. Can you imagine how frightening that must have been? Christine still gets a bit nervous when she hears strong winds. So let's set the scene. Scene one, the lake. After the miracle of feeding 5,000 people near Bethsaida, Jesus sent the disciples by ship to Capernaum while he remained behind alone to pray. So have a look at this map. I don't know if you can see, but Bethsaida is at the top on the right and Capernaum is at the top on the left, just across the water, and there's a tiny little boat in the middle. That's where they were when the storm hit. So when I hear something that's called a sea, I tend to think that it's a small ocean, but the Sea of Galilee is actually a freshwater lake. It's the lowest freshwater lake on earth. It's about 214 metres below sea level. It's about 21 kilometres long, 13 kilometres wide. Its water source is the Jordan River and that comes in from the north and it exits at the south. The lake is surrounded by high mountains and that's why it can be very rough and stormy with all that wind coming down from the mountains. Many of the ministries, many of the miracles of Jesus and the ministries of Jesus were at the lake. For example, Jesus recruited four of his apostles from the lake shore. The fisherman Simon, his brother Andrew, and the brothers John and James. The Sermon on the Mount was given on a hill overlooking Kinneret, and that's down the south end of the lake. Many of the miracles occurred here. Jesus walking on water, calming the storm, healing the cripple, feeding 5,000 people, and also the disciples miraculously catching fish. So please open your Bibles to page 1621 and we'll follow along. John chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. So notice that John mentions that it's evening in verse 16 and then in verse 17 he says it's dark. Well, the theme of lightness and darkness is woven throughout John's Gospel. 
Yes, it is dark when they're crossing the lake, literally. But it's also dark in the sense that they do not have the light of Jesus with them. It's one of the few places in this gospel where there's a temporary absence from Jesus in the story. Scene two, the scary part. Verse 18, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. Well, I think it can be pretty easy to just glance at this verse and keep on reading. The waters grew rough. It's a pretty brief description. But those poor old disciples are in a pretty precarious situation. It's about eight kilometres across the lake from Bethsaida to Capernaum. And based on other gospel accounts, we know that it's about 3 a.m., now, some of the disciples were professional fishermen and they knew how to sail a boat. So the whole trip across that lake should have taken an hour or two. But they get caught up in a fierce storm. It's night and it's dark. They're undoubtedly getting exhausted as they struggle with the storm. So it would be really frightening. Scene three. Enter. Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Look at verses 19 and 20. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. And in Matthew... 14.26 says something similar. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Notice there's no mention of the disciples being frightened of the weather. They were frightened and terrified when they saw Jesus walking on water towards them. So Jesus sees the disciples, disciples struggling in this storm from many kilometres away where he was. And he walks on the lake in the storm, waves crashing around him, out to the boat to be with his disciples. Yes, the disciples in their time of need, it was Jesus who comes to their rescue. And in our time of need... Jesus is our Lord. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, there it is. Jesus is Lord even in the storms. He's Lord even when a situation appears hopeless. He's Lord when we are afraid. I want to look closely at what Jesus says in verse 20. He says... It is I. Don't be afraid. We might think that Jesus was simply saying, It's okay, it's me, don't be afraid. But Jesus' it is I statement is much more than that. The meaning of it is 
by tends to get lost in translation. And literally, in the Greek, it is I, is I am. That might sound familiar to you. So Jesus says, I am. Don't be afraid. And here Jesus gives the first of what are known as the I am statements. These are the statements that Jesus makes to further disclose his messianic identity. In Exodus, when God first appears to Moses, God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That's Exodus 3.14. So what does I am mean? Well, in the words of Dutch theologian Herman Bavink, God is independent, all-sufficient in himself, and the only source of all existence and life. Yahweh is the name that describes this essence and identity most clearly. His name is being. I am speaks to God's self-existence, that God is so uniquely and purely himself. So here we've got Jesus at the Sea of Galilee walking on water to rescue his disciples and telling them not to fear because I am is with them. Put your hands up if you think that you might be comforted if Jesus appeared to you and said, don't be scared, I am as with you right now. <laughs> yeah, I think most of us would find that very comforting. Sometimes we might think, yeah, but they... The disciples actually had Jesus with them. What about when Jesus is not with me? How can I be comforted then? Well, the answer is Jesus is always with us. And there are many places in the Bible that tells us that. Do not fear. Jesus is always with us. Matthew 18.20 For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Matthew 28.20 And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41, 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. So the phrase, do not be afraid, is the most com common command in the Bible. It's written 365 times. That's once for each day. Yeah, I noticed that too. Once for each day. Is that a coincidence? I don't know. 
Another thing, note that when God tells us oh, not to fear, he doesn't just say, hey, don't fear and that's all now and now let's go on to the next thing. No. He says do not fear and then he states why. For example, Exodus 14, 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm. Why? And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see them again. God tells Abraham in Genesis 15.1, Fear not, Abraham. Why? I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Genesis 26.24, when God's speaking to Isaac, I am the God... Your Abraham, your father, fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring as my servant Abraham's sake. Joseph is told not to feel Mary, not to fear taking Mary as his wife, because the child she was carrying had been conceived of the Holy Spirit. Matthew one twenty. In Luke, we're told not to fear because God has given his kingdom, Luke 12, 32. Yes, throughout the Bible, people are told not to fear because God will fight for them. And that's your second um, outline point. Do not fear because God will fight for us. It's pretty natural, though, isn't it, that we feel scared or worried or stressed sometimes? I don't know about you, but I, I certainly do. Is it always easy to not fear because God's with me? Well, no, it's not. We are fallen and sinful. The world... <laughs> around us is fallen and sinful and one of our great temptations is to doubt God when things don't quite go the way we want them to so we put more stock in our own will being done than God's perfect will being done so when God tells us not to fear it actually doesn't mean that every situation in our lives will work out the way we want it to it doesn't mean that. But every situation will work out to our great God's sovereign will. We've certainly had a lot of storms in our society this year. For some of us, health issues. For others, we've got struggles in our family. I actually can't think of a time when there was more uncertainty and angst about the future. There are concerns over our economy and what that will look like in the coming years. There's worries about social upheaval, about the future and the unknown. There's worries about our churches, not just this church, but churches throughout our, our nation, throughout the world. 
the fears of our society seem to be becoming increasingly secular. Remember the big message. Jesus says, I am, do not be afraid. Now we certainly need to turn to Jesus with all of our worries and our fears. Let's look at verse 21. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. <laughs> so the disciples now realize it's Jesus. Phew! <laughs> They're relieved. They're not scared. And they bring him into the boat. What have they done? They've reconnected with Jesus. They bring him into the boat, into their lives. But notice what Jesus does. He just nonchalantly works another miracle. Immediately. When he gets into the boat, immediately. They're safely on shore at Capernaum, some three or four kilometres away across the lake. What? How did that happen? It's a bit like beam me up, Scotty, on, on Star Trek, for those of you who know that. And, and last week, I remember Rick uh, mentioned how many of Jesus' miracles happened immediately, and, and this is another immediate miracle. All right, the last scene now. Scene four, when the crowds are searching for Jesus. Verses 22 and 23. The next day the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realised that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples but he had, he had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. <laughs> so the crowds had no idea where Jesus was. The night before they'd watched as Jesus compelled his disciples to get on the boat and head off while he stayed behind. Then they watched, they saw Jesus retreat to the mountaintop after he dismissed the crowds and he went off to pray by himself. But the next day they couldn't find him. They are separated from him then. Verse 24, once the crowd realised that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got onto the boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Notice what the crowd did when they were separated from Jesus. They went in search of Jesus. And we, like the crowds, need to seek Jesus and to follow him to receive his saving grace. A brief summary, then I'll pray. The disciples were on a boat in a storm without Jesus at night. When Jesus came to the boat, the boat arrived safely at its destination. <laughs> when I try to control my boat, I know that my life gets very chaotic. Like the disciples rowing, I, I can really work hard 
and not make much progress. Satan will resist me at every turn. When Christ is on board, my life has purpose and direction. And Satan, you can just get behind me. You're going to be overcome. Sometimes our life gets really hard. And when it gets really hard, that's exactly when we need to trust God. And Jesus is our perfect example of doing just that. It was really hard for Jesus at one stage, at many stages. He felt alone. My God, why have you abandoned me? He felt rejected, ridiculed and persecuted. (laughs) Poor Jesus. What did he do? He trusted God and he defeated sin and pain and sickness and death and everything bad and evil. We can be certain of ultimately being completely safe if we trust Jesus. And that cross and the resurrection changed everything. In the storms of life, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, his cross, his resurrection, his promises, his presence. The storm will subside. The boat will arrive at its destination as long as Jesus is the captain of our lives. I want to ask you a question. Do you trust in Jesus Is Jesus the captain of your life? Please talk to one one of the leaders over morning tea if you'd like to know more about that. I'll pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are in control. Even in the greatest storm, we can know your peace. Help us, Jesus to always surrender our control to you. Help us to trust in you, to always make you captain of our lives. And I pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Bob.